I remember when uh, we were, it was actually Teresa was pregnant with our first child. And uh, I find myself asking myself a couple different times during the, the pregnancy, you know, am I, am I ready for this? Do I have what it takes to be a dad? You know, am I ready to be a dad? And of course, the answer is no, you're not ready to be a dad. But, you know, too late. Time is coming and you just got to deal with it. But that's a normal question that, that young dads have, especially, was, you know, maybe they think of how they were raised or they think of uh, their limitations, their insecurities. They see other people's children and what has happened. And, and they look at themselves and they think, oh, my goodness, how can I do this? Am I ready to be a dad? And so if you are a, a dad-to-be, or you're wondering about that, and you're trying to think, ask yourself whether or not you've got what it takes to be a dad, there are five tests you can take to ascertain whether or not you're ready to be a dad. Here they are, real quick. First is the night songs test. Okay, this is, determines how you're going to handle the night with the babies. Your evening begins at 8 p.m. Walk around the living room from 8 to 10 p.m. carrying a small, wet bag of sand, singing every children's tune you know. At 10 p.m., set the bag down and get ready for bed. Set the alarm for midnight. At midnight, pick the wet bag back up and settle into a rocking chair for two hours, singing every John Denver song, every love song or TV theme song you can remember. At 2 a.m., set the bag back down and go to bed after you set the alarm for four. At 4 a.m., pick the bag back up and walk around the living room in the dark, singing songs from Metallica, Janet Jackson, Ted Nugent. It doesn't matter. When you've exhausted all these songs, make up many of your own. Do this until 6 a.m. At 6 a.m., put the bag down, take a shower, and go to work. Keep this up for five years. If you can do this without falling asleep too, too often at work, you may be ready to be a dad. Second test, the dressing small children test. Take a small, angry octopus and attempt to stuff him into a loose mesh bag so that none of his arms hang out. If you can do this without chopping any of the arms off, you may be ready to be a dad. Test number three, the total car makeover test. Oh, yeah. For this one, you will need a chocolate ice cream cone, a supersize of McDonald's fries, a dime, a box of generic cookies, and a garden rake. Put the chocolate ice cream comb in the glove box right next to the registration and owner's manual. Leave it there. Throw the fries all over the floorboard and dashboard in those nooks and crannies that are hard to reach. Grind the cookies into the back seats. This is especially effective if you have cloth seats. If you have leather, please substitute permanent black magic marker. Force the dime into the CD player until it no longer works. Run the garden rake along both sides of the car. And if you can do this without crying too profusely, you may be ready to be a dad. There's the road rage driving test. For this one, you will need a large tomcat and six pit bulls. Remember, golden retrievers will not work. You need pit bulls. Borrow a child safety seat and appropriately put it into your back seat. Put the pit bulls in the front seat. While holding a hot, full cup of coffee, strap the Tomcat into the back car seat. Drive around for one hour, stopping at least five times. At each stop, take the Tomcat out and strap him back in. If you can do this without losing too much blood, you may be ready to be a dad. Lastly, the 30-second Lego night run test. Yes, those, those hoes are from people who've experienced this, y'all, just so you know. Take a large box of Legos and scatter them all over the living room floor. 
Put on a blindfold after taking off your shoes and socks. If you want the AP version of this test, have someone move the furniture around after you've been blindfolded. At the signal, run from one end of the living room to the other as fast as you can, knowing that the longer you take, the more children will wake up or the more blood or chocolate will get spilt on your white carpet. If you can do this without swearing too loudly, you may be ready to be a dad. And finally, when you find yourself at work singing, I love you, you love me, you're ready. You made it. You're going to be a good dad. All right. Now, you young guys who are thinking this was a joke, (laughs) talk to the veteran parents when we're done. You'll realize these are not bad tests. Now, those are good questions. I mean, as far as do I do I have what it takes to be a dad? Uh, Can I be a dad? What's a dad supposed to do? But these are not just questions asked by by newbie dads, are they? I mean, I remember when my firstborn was born, I called my dad. Dad, tell me, how do you do this? And I'll never forget the conversation. My dad said something like this. He said, son, when you kids started coming around, I didn't know how to be a dad. So I just let your mom do it. (laughs) Well, okay, that's what a lot of fathers end up doing. Maybe they try and they fail. And so what happens is they delegate it to mom. I'm going to just marry work and the kids will be mom's project. That's how they be a good dad. Now, other dads say, oh, no, no, I've got it figured out. What you got to do is you got to celebrate birthdays. You got you got to go to all the practices and games. You got to be at the recitals. Hugs often. Tell them they're special and you love them. See, that's how you be a good dad. And while none of us would argue with that, you know, the interesting thing is none of those things are on God's job description for dads. None of them. And and what what I'm I'm, I'm wondering is is if in fact uh, we understand what God's job description for dads is and we don't want to discover this too late so we're going to look at this this morning now now this has direct application obviously because it's father's day for the dads especially with little kids at home but it also has application of course for moms for for parents as a whole it has application for grandparents for people who are trying to parent their adult children it has and if you tell you if you are a student, if you are single, if you don't have any kids, don't check out because this is especially important for you. Because every parent I know who's been doing this for a while has regret. And so you can erase future regret if you understand clearly what God is expecting of you. So if you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4? It's just one verse. God's job description for dads, it's one sentence. Not too complex. We should be able to figure it out. Now, living it out will be another issue. But we need to start with, with figuring it out. And while you're, you're, you're turning there, let me give you some background on the book of Ephesians, because that would be very, very helpful. Uh, in, in, in Ephesus, the Greco-Roman world, dad was the king in his palace. I mean, he was. The family was ruled by what's referred to as Patria Potestis, which means the father's power. Dad had full reign over his subjects, i.e. his children. He could do anything he wanted to to them. He could banish them. He could send them into exile, put them in the fields, put them in chains. He could dispose of them even up to death if he desired because he was the dad and dad was the king and they were his subjects. That was the way it worked. Matter of fact, when the baby was born, it would be brought to the dad and laid at his feet. 
And if he reached down and picked up the child, what he was saying was, we'll keep it. But if he looked at the child, didn't like the way it looked, maybe it looked sickly, maybe it was the wrong gender, walked around it, maybe, maybe, maybe it was colicky, maybe he just had a headache. He turned and walked away. They would dispose of the child. It would be brought to the forest and left for the beast to be brought to the seashore and left for the high tide and be dropped off at the Roman forum and left for anybody who is interested in taking this, this child and raising him as a slave or raising her for the brothels. Dad was the king. Now, there were dads, obviously, who loved their kids. But you've got to keep in mind that their mindset, they were, they were not, not trying to be wicked and evil per se. They were just doing fatherhood the way it was done to them. The way culture dictated, the way it had always been done, what was, was accepted and expected and embraced. This was just the way it was done. And this is what they were doing. And so my question is for us. Are we doing parenthood the way our culture has dictated? Or, or do, are we doing it the way God has dictated? Not even thinking it through, really. We're just doing it the way culture has said we're supposed to do it. Just like these guys. God comes to these guys. And he rewrites the job description for them. Radically. And so, so we, want to, we want to look in at, at this. Beginning in, in verse 4. Again, it's just verse 4. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Starts off telling them what they're not supposed to do. Now, exasperate means to anger their child, to embitter the child. And, and right away you're going, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. Wait a minute. I tell my kid he's got to do his homework and it makes him angry. I tell my kid he's got to go to school and it makes him embittered. I tell my kid, no four hours of Nintendo, and you can't, can't goof around until after you've done your chores, and, and you can't go to Susie's for an all-nighter on Wednesday, and they get upset, and, and I'm not supposed to do this? Well, this doesn't speak to those parameters. We'll address those in a second, but this is what it, it does mean. At, at this point, again, maybe you grew up like this with a dad who really doesn't care what's going on inside the kid. Bottom line is, I really don't care. You better toe the line. Do what I'm supposed to Behavior modif- We're going to do the externals. I don't care how you feel. That's a little bit of what's going on. The context tells us everything, though. Context in Scripture is always going to tell you and help define the, the, the text for you, the verse for you. So if you, if you were to look between 522 and, and 6-9, Paul's going to address three different relationships in the family. Okay, he's going to talk about the husband and wife. He's going to talk about the, the, the dad and the kids. And he's going to talk about the master and the servants. Now, when you hear the master and servants, don't think of George Washington on Mount Vernon with, with, with 200 slaves. Think of Brady Bunch with Alice. Okay, because that's really the context. That's really what, what the terms mean. Slave for sure. But uh, part of the family, kind of, sort of, the nanny person, the one who lives under the roof with them and helps them. And in each of these situations, there are two, two, two people, right? And one has the power and one has to submit to the one with the power. And Paul's going to address them both in each of these relationships. And this is what he's going to say in every instance to the person with the power. He's going to say this. Don't abuse your power. Don't abuse But use you do not have the power because you're superior. You do not have the reins because you're smarter. 
You're not in charge simply because you're bigger. It's because God has given you the power and the way he's put the world together. He has given it to you. So don't abuse it for your kingdom. Your job is to use it for his kingdom. Don't abuse it. Use it. And we we see why in verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise. That's the fifth commandment. That it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. This is, this is huge. Dads, let's understand this. This is so huge. Why do we want our children to obey us? Because it's less embarrassing. Because it makes life more fun. So they'd be good citizens one day. No, no, no. We want our kids to obey us based on this text. Because there is a, a spiritual blessing associated for them. If they obey us, your kids relationship with God is directly dependent upon their relationship with you. That's huge. And what Paul's saying here is, is because that's true, because their relationship with God is, is dependent on their relationship with you, because their obedience to God will be dependent on their obedience to you. Don't make it difficult, dads, for them to obey you. Don't have this might makes right. And because I'm in charge and I brought you into this world and I'll take you out type of mentality. If you go down that road, you got to know this. You got to know this. They won't honor you. They might. You can force obedience, of course, when they're smaller, but they're not honoring you. And in time, if they're not honoring you, they're not going to obey you. And in the process, the worst part of the whole deal is we drive them away from God. So Paul says it is hugely important, dads. This is why they have to obey you. Because their relationship with God is dependent on this. It's really, really, really significant. So he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children instead. I like that word. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You know, I... I, uh, Notice in this job description, Paul uses just a few words, but every one of his words is well thought out. It's 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 weighty. So we don't want to discard the in the Lord changes everything because up to this point, my kids existed for me. Right. They were going to carry my name. They were for my future financial security. They worked in the fields. They helped me. They my kids existed for me. And, and he says here, no, 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 dad. You got it wrong. You exist for your kids. They don't exist for you. Everything shifts. Everything changes. Everything with that. Now, we ask ourselves again, uh, how do we bring this about? How do we do it? Uh, it is very, very uh, clear in the text. Very simple. But let me ask you first. Dads, what? Do you want for your kids in life? Let me just answer to yourself. What do you want for your kids in life? How will you know you were a successful dad? What are you proudest of them for? Uh, maybe a better question. What does God want for your kids in life? I can tell you what he doesn't want. It's not his primary goal that they sit first chair. It's not his primary. It's not God's primary goal that they make that select sporting traveling team. And they start. God's not God's primary goal for your child that they they get the solo, that they get the lead in the musical, that they have the award winning GPA, which would be a nice thing. Wouldn't it? That'd be a cool thing. But that's not God's number one goal. God's number one goal for your kid isn't that they go to the right school. 
and then get the right job afterwards and have the right accoutrements of success. God's will for your kid, goal for your kid, is not even that they're happy. How often do you hear this? Oh, Johnny, I don't care what you do, just as long as you're... You'll never hear that from God. That's not his goal for your child. Just doesn't matter just as long as they're happy. That's, that's not where he's coming from. That's not the plan. Well, what is God's goal for your children? Well, look at, look at uh, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boasts about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Now, I, I rewrote the verse. Here's paraphrase in, in honor of Father's Day. I think God will be OK with this, though. This is what the Lord says. Let not the dad boast of his kids wisdom or of his kids strength and abilities or of his kids riches and success. But let him who boasts about his children boast about this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord that that lets us know that, Dad, your job is not to raise Um, nice children. It's not to raise successful children. Your job is not to to raise well-mannered kids and and well-behaved kids and kids who can keep a marriage together and who can pay their taxes and who can go to church for forever. That's not the goal. Your job is to raise kids that love him and fear him and serve him. And that's pretty countercultural. And you might say, I'm not so sure I like this. And your kids might say, I'm not so sure I like this either. But either way, God puts that out and says, regardless, that's the task you have. And again, we step back and we go, you don't understand. I I did not see this modeled. I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional home. Um, My home wasn't as godly as people thought. And you need to understand, I didn't go to Bible college. I really didn't avail myself to Sunday school, maybe like I should have. And, and I, I, I have too many limitations. I've got some doubts, okay? I've got doubts. And I've got baggage in my life. I did some things I'm not proud of. How in the world can I do this? The coolest thing about this text is the people that the Apostle Paul, i.e. the Holy Spirit, are writing to, these dads are first-generation dads, Christians. You know, they, didn't, they grew up in a pagan home. They never saw it done right. I mean, these guys had, talk about a past. These guys had some baggage, man. These guys had a very colorful past. And, and, and these folk didn't know the scripture. The only scripture they would have had were maybe a couple of gospels and the book of Ephesians. That's it. Quite limited. And yet God looks at them and says, you're the one that I want to disciple your kids. I've given your kids for you to do. To you. And God's never going to tell us to do something that he doesn't equip us to do. They could pull this off. And so, again, the, the question is, how do you pull this off? This is a pretty huge task. How can I do this? I know my limitations. I, I keep them inside mostly. But how do I do this? Paul's going to let us know. He says, don't exasperate your kids. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I think what we see here. Three uh, metaphors, modern day metaphors. Okay, we're going to use. And the first way we need to see our role in the family's dad is we need to see ourselves as a coach with his team. 
a coach with his team. When it says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the the Lord. That word training is the word padea. And and what it refers to is it refers to strict training. It's a word that speaks of parameters and, and, and limitations and consequences. If you violate these limitations, the word has tried to have been softened over the over the years. But grammatically and syntactically, you just can't do that because just about every time the word appears, it's always referring to a, a minor who needs strict discipline in his daily life. Now, now, growing up, I thought it would be fun to be a parent who's doing the disciplining instead of being a kid who's being disciplined. You know, I was on the wrong side of the belt way too many times, but not as many as I deserved, I'm sure. Um, but I would remember my dad would, would, would let me have it, the belt, and, 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 and he would, wouldn't say this often. Not a man of a lot of words, but once in a while he would pull the, this is going to hurt me, son, much more than it hurt you. Know, you go, please. Now, you never say this out loud because you don't get in trouble. But you're looking over your shoulder thinking, how stupid do you think I am? Let's look at the back of my legs. Then let's look at the back of your legs and see who's hurting the most here. OK, what do you think? Let's just have an, an objective test here. Uh, but then you become a parent, right? And your kid does something that's just straight out rebellious. And you're going, no, no, no. And you bring him upstairs. And you don't want to, something, you just don't want to. So you go by the shoulders and you say, please, I don't want to have to spank you. And then you say what we've all say and we've all said is, now this time I'm going to let you off. But next time you're in trouble. All the time, all the time, all the time. Now, as dads. We can get too, too harsh. We'll address that again in a second. But we can also get too soft. And we need to know this. That whenever we don't do it God's, according to God's word, too soft, it will violate, it will hurt our children. Look at this. First Samuel. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Now, you've got to know that Eli loved his boys, Hophni and Phinehas. He loved them. He brought, no doubt. But too many times he went up to him and he grabbed him by the shoulders. and He said, now this time I'm going to let you off. But next time. And in the process, he ended up damning his boys and bringing judgment on his whole family. Whenever we, whenever, regardless of the sincerity, whenever we don't do it according to the way God says, there, there are consequences. There, there are, are issues. Now, let me throw a sidebar on this for a second because it's important. This is really, really important. If you've been checking out, just check back in. You can check back out again in a second. Whenever we discipline, it's huge, parents, huge, that we make a distinction, right? Between foolishness and childishness. Huge, huge. Proverbs 22. It says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Now, foolishness is basically spiritual anarchy. It is that, 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 that deal that says, my world and your world and your world all should revolve around me. I don't listen to the rules. I make the rules, you know, that kind of a mindset. The thing that says that says that I'll listen as long as I'm not going to get in trouble. Try to try to be wise here. But you need to know when you're not looking. It is that, it's that, it's that spiritual anarchy thing that's bound up in the heart of every person 
They don't just get this when they're teenagers. They get it. They get it from the time they're conceived, according to David. Oh, everybody's got this. Now, now, childishness, on the other hand, is more developmental. Childishness is affects their their thinking, their values, their decision making, their ability to do different things. Uh, your kid may be having a meltdown in aisle six of Wegmans. Uh, and you have to ask yourself, OK, is this foolishness? Maybe they're really kicking into rebellion here because I won't give them something. On the other hand, maybe their little six year old body is just pushed beyond its ability to cope here. Maybe maybe the, the, the little guy is his life is scary and he can't process this properly. He doesn't really understand it. Maybe his emotions have been pushed too far out. And so as a parent, we've got to discern. Is this childishness? Is this just a kid being a kid? Or is this foolishness? We never, ever discipline for childishness. We always discipline for foolishness. We have to make sure the child obeys, not because I'm worthy of being obeyed, but because there's a promise with that command, their relationship with God. And here's the deal. When we discipline our kids, you know what we do? We're basically training them for how God's going to deal with them. If we never discipline that with them, then they, then they are thinking that God shouldn't discipline me either. And when he does, which he will do, they, they turn. Look at, look at this, Hebrews. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more shall we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Amen to that, right? But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Appropriate discipline, right? Brings about holiness. Appropriate discipline brings about righteousness. Appropriate discipline, I believe, is the only thing that can bring in your child peace. Uh, that's how God will treat us. It's important that we are dads to coach with our team. But we're also this. We're the coach with our team, but we are also a doctor in his hospital. Okay, doctor in his hospital. That fathers do not exasperate your children, instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You might say, okay, okay, hang on. Here, see the verse. Dad in his hospital, I'm just not making this connection here. You've got to help me with this one. All right. This word, instruction of the Lord. The word is nuthesia. It means verbal encouragement, but it's a two-sided coin. That's one side. The other side is compassion, sensitivity. It infers lots of listening. In other words, all of the speaking is, is tied to listening. All the speaking is tied to compassion. It's tied to concern. It's tied to care. All of it is. You know, was it a while back? Um, I was, uh, I don't know how many years back it, it was, but about I went around our kitchen table. I said, okay, guys, close to Father's Day. So what we're going to do, we're going to go around the table and everybody say a word that reflects me. It's going to be positive, okay? But everyone go around the table and say a word that reflects me. So they did, and they were very gracious to me, and I, I appreciated that. But I didn't hear what I was looking for. So I said, okay, we're going to do this one more time. You can't use any of the words that were just said. Even if you didn't say it, someone else said it. You can't use that word. So let's do it one more time. And so they did it one more time, but they didn't use any of the words that I was looking for. 
So I thought they just missed it, right? So I was just going to suggest these words. So I said, well, yeah, good, good, good words. Thank you. How about gentleness and compassion and sensitivity? I mean, and my kids t- pulled one of these, every one of them. <laughs> then they looked at each other. And then they started laughing. I mean, you know, out loud. Was, they thought this was hilarious. I'm going, what's the issue with this? Which you obviously are not discerning children. Um, dads often. Right? I'm, I'm guessing I'm not the only one. We like to sport the coach's whistle. But sometimes, Dad, right? We need to turn it in for the doctor's stethoscope. And we need to not get into the training mode. We need to get into the listening mode. And that sometimes it's hard. It's hard for me. I'm guessing it might be hard for some others. But here's the deal. Moms, this is where you can help us. Please never correct us in front of their children. But still, you might need to pull us aside and say, it might be a good time for you to take off the whistle and put on the stethoscope. Because there's times that we need to discern, dads, when our kids are crushed inside, when they are hurting spiritually. Yeah, they didn't do that thing exactly the way they needed to do it and all this. But maybe there's a bigger issue going on and we need to address what's in their heart and we need to find out where they're at. We need to be the coach with his team, but we also need to be a doctor in the hospital with our kids. And then finally, it says in the instruction, you know, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Again, that word, the other side of it is the verbal encouragement. It's it's the verbal 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 training. It is the. Uh, theology. How will your kids learn theology? Here you go. Please don't expect the church to be your primary mode. Biblically, the church is not. Biblically, you are. Uh, the, the Sunday school, the uh, youth ministry, the, it's all to assist you. And we get them a couple hours a week. But at home, they, they, that's where they're going to, to grow. And so your home, according to Scripture here, needs to be a seminary. It needs to be the, the Dre Theological Seminary. It needs to be the, the Watt School of the Bible. It needs to be the, 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 the Devore Divinity School. It needs to be the Your Name Bible Institute. Because that's what God has said your number one job for your home is to be. And so we ask ourselves, well, uh, how, do I, how do I get there again? Again, I, I'm, I'm limited. I don't understand. I don't really know. Well, you can get there. Let me give you two ways. That you can get there. Number one is just to model it. Your kids will know what's important, right, Dad, based on you. Now, if your kids right now were to sit down and write, without you in the room, write up what's important to Dad, what would they say? Well, sports are important to Dad. Works a lot. I guess works important to Dad. Bills and Wall Street. Yeah, money's important to Dad. And those hobbies, yeah, that's important to Dad. Would they say, God... And his word is important to dad. Would it make the top five? And if they wouldn't say that, please, you almost have to put this part of the verse on hold. Because if you try to teach them that God's word is important, when really it's not important to you, hypocrisy stinks like the high heavens. Your kids have an acute sense of smell. They will sniff that out in a moment and you'll bring about more scars than anything else. You just want to throw the dice probably with your kids' spirituality if you're not willing to first make this primary in your life you got to model it now my, my dad again i don't i'm not sure what reality is here but i don't think my dad ever finished high school and uh, uh very smart man but just never uh, 
was able to take advantage of any educational opportunities. My dad had quite the past, a lot of, a lot of baggage. Um, but I remember as a little boy when he came to know Christ. And I would see my dad walking through the house crying. And my dad never cried. I never saw him cry. My dad was, he'd be the kind of working on the car and his arms would be cut up. And he's like, oh, it's just a scratch, you know, and just keep on going and, and swearing every other breath. It's just my dad's a big, tough man. Uh, but he's crying, walking through the house. And I thought, what's the deal? It freaked me out a little bit. My mom said, oh, no, it's good. It's good. Well, he was wrestling. He came to understand the gospel. So he was, he was wrestling with the Lord. He came face to face with Christ. Am I in on this or not? I want to give him my life or not. And he gave, ended up giving Christ his life. My dad changed radically. I remember my dad would sit in his lazy boy every night and just watch reruns of, you know, Gunsmoke and F Troop and, you know, all the war movies, everything else. And suddenly he's sitting in his lazy boy still at night, but he's reading his Bible. He'd read through, through that thing I found out later twice a year, regular basis. I remember once as, as a little kid, I'm in the, the back seat of our car. We pick up somebody from my dad's work and my dad starts talking with this person and ends up leading this person to Christ. And I'm watching this. What do you think that did to me as a little kid? He ended up leading almost his whole family. He had like 10 kids, his whole family to the Lord. Model was, was massive. Now, my dad didn't get it all together. There were some things that he, he didn't get straightened out before he died. But I, I'm telling you, it, it, God used it to alter my life huge. Model it. Most important thing we can do. Second thing we have to do with this is we do have to teach it. We do have to, to share it. And you might say, well, let me know how to do that. Well, hang on a second. If I was to say, here's a project for you. If you complete the project, I'll give you $10 million. I wouldn't have to tell you how to do it, would I? You'd get it done. You'd figure out how to do it. If there's $10 million online, you'd make it. We'd figure this out no matter what. This project is substantially more significant than $10 million. There are, there are oodles of ways. There is a... Child's Bible study story books, and you can read with your child on a regular basis, pray with your child on a regular basis. Just be creative, but seek it out. And if you have any real concerns, you're still drawing a zero after thinking it through, give me a call. Ask your Sunday school teachers, ask the youth leaders. They know that's what they're there for. Your family has been chosen for a space mission. You guys blast off, and this mission's on the other side of of the galaxy. I mean, it's way out there. And you're having a blast. Because <laughs> you're going through space and you're enjoying this thing. You're enjoying each other. You're playing games. You're watching videos. Lots of great family time because this takes a long time to get the other side of the galaxy and back. And then it dawns on you as you're pulling out the calendar and you're looking at it and you're seeing how far you got left to go. You're realizing, I'm going to die before the mission's accomplished. And my kids who are right here, they don't have a clue how to work this ship. And unless they understand this, they're going to die. I've got to train them on how to, to, to operate this thing. Because if I don't, their very existence is dependent on it. Well, you still watch videos. You still have family time and play games. But you spend very, very substantial, intentional time, don't you? Training them. Okay, guys, time to be serious. We need to understand how to operate this thing. And you train them and train them and train them. And here's the deal. You know, as well as I do, you can see this. One day we'll be gone and our kids will be here. Will they be prepared and equipped in order to to fulfill the mission? And if they are, is it just going to be because we hope they've come across somebody on the radio or they picked up the right book? It's going to have to be equipped in spite of us, not because of us. 
Now, whenever we start talking about these kind of things, I, I know guilt rises up, doesn't it? Just Here's the deal, though. I'm going to make a deal with you. Everything in the past is past. I mean, it, it's gone. Okay, let's start today. I don't know where you are in your parenting today, whether you've got little kids. Nobody's there yet, but you're starting to make plans. Whether you're, you're dealing with, with grandchildren and, and grown children, wherever you are today, ask yourself, God, how does this apply to my life right now? What can I do? A godly grandfather, a godly grandmother, incredible legacy. Huge influence. Uh, if, if God's put you in a situation where you will never have children of your own, the children that you're around between working in the, the ministries at church, uh, incredible, incredible influence you can have. Would you pray with me? And again, in the, the sanctuary of your own heart, just where you sit between you and the Lord, please don't hear... What God's word would say and turn and walk away. But you're, you're dealing with him. Again, what, what commitments would you need to make, dad or parent? What, what commitments would you need to make as far as your own values or your own time or things that maybe have gotten out of control? But a while back you had them in line. We just need to bring them back. Lord, I thank you. You know my dad. You know how many times he dropped the ball. And you know God's issues. And you're so big and powerful that you could use him in my life in a huge way. Thank you. And God, for the, the dads who are here, what an awesome responsibility you've given us. And it scares us to death on our own, Lord. But you've given us your spirit as well. You've called us to it. So I would pray that we would fight for our kids first in our, our modeling and our walking with you. We would seek to, to train them up appropriately and make sure that before they leave our house, they understand your word and your love for them and who they are in your eyes. And God, for today and the future, would you show each of us to what extent we are to live this out? How we're to implement this, how Ephesians 6, 4 is just a part of how we live. And our parenting isn't modeled by society or culture, but by your word. I would ask that that would be so. And God, too, we just want to say thank you for your grace and your patience and your uh, covering us when we blow it and we drop the ball. Thank you, God. As we go forth into this week, this week that you have planned for us again, would you remind us of your presence? Would you remind us of your word? That Jesus would be glorified in our families and in our lives. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.